I'm going to talk to you about something tonight that's not going to be fun. It's just, I'm just going to prepare you. It's not going to be fun. There's a, there's a saying in our society, and I'm sure you've heard it before. There actually used to be, a, I think, a, a sports line or something that used to go by the, the term no regrets. Have you ever heard it? People would say no regrets. I don't know if you watch television. There's a lot of times that people get interviewed about something. They're always like, you know, do you, how do you feel about it? You know, are you disappointed? Are you upset? They're always like, no, I don't have any regrets. I don't have any regrets. And it's kind of like this thought that we can just throw all of our mistakes and our hurts and, you know, kind of into a pile and we can just walk away from it and, and kind of never give it another thought, just kind of just walk away, just forget. And that's not really truthful. It's not really honest. That's not what really life is about. I mean, it's, it's great if we can do that, but that's not how God created us. Uh, it's not God's plan. Um, if you think about what regret is, it's a, to feel sorrow, to feel remorse, to think of with a sense of loss or disappointment about something. And God's plan is when there's something that happened in our life that wasn't so good, isn't so great, his desire really is for us not to just put a big label on and say, I, I don't regret that. Um, what it is is really his plan is that we'd feel sorrow about it, that we'd feel remorseful, that we would really regret those things, that we'd think about our life, we'd think about our choices, we can think about them as, you know, really with a sense of loss and, and disappointment because that is actually what will bring us change in the long run. And um, it's not fun. Like I say, it's not a fun topic. Um, but when we regret, when we truly regret things that have happened in our lives or choices that we made, we're going to learn and we're going to grow from them. And we're going to rid ourselves, rid ourselves of pride in the long run. Those ideas that we can control our destiny that we have. Um, uh, you know, we're like the puppet masters that we can control everything, put everything into place because um, God knows we're not. We can't. We can't do those things. So like I say, um, it's not a fun topic, and I'm gonna, it's probably going to get even deeper for you. But I think this is very important, and it's definitely something that God laid upon my heart to teach you guys. Um, something that I taught last week, and then when I was reading in my in personal time and, and, and reading um, the Bible and praying about something, God really just laid this upon my heart that we really needed to teach on brokenness this week. And I really want to make sure that you understand that it's not going to be enough in your life to just put the standard label of, I don't regret that, and say no to regrets, but I want you to really live the fact that you need to say yes to them. You need to regret. You need, when someone asks you, do you regret that, uh, my hope is that you're going to tell them, yes, I do, and with all my heart, I regret the choices I made. I made stupid decisions. Um, The things that happened were horrible, you know, and I really, really regret everything that took place in my life. And Like I say, it's a heavy subject. It's definitely not light. It's definitely not carefree. But it is so important and so necessary because God has a lot that he wants to teach us through it. Brokenness is a very important thing in God. Um, If you read God's word, if you realize anybody that's gone through something in their lives, you realize that brokenness is something that kind of paves the way for greater things. The Bible says that brokenness leads to repentance. Well, repentance is a choice to change. There's something inside of us when we're truly broken, we're going to think that, you know, that hurt too much. I'm not going to go that way again. I'm going to go this way now. And it's a choice that you make. 
And we do have to continually um, go over again and again how, as believers, this earth is not our home. You know, we've done this. We've, we've talked about this. And we've said so many times that, you know, we're aliens here. A true follower of Christ, a true believer, doesn't necessarily believe here. We're part of this earth. We, we have to exist. We're part of here. But God's word says that we, already, already, we are already eternally minded. That means we're already thinking about the next place. We already know where we're headed. So it's really no surprise that um, the world will tell us something that's so foundational in God's word, would, the world would tell us that that's not necessary. Just don't regret it. You know, just continue on. And uh, it's just so against what God would want for us because he so truly wants us to feel things deeply. Um, I, I don't understand people not feeling hurts and pains. I mean, I know life has not been simple for me. I mean, this has not been an easy life. You ever see those people that are 85, 90 years old, and you watch them, and they're like, man, I'm just waiting for the time I can go home. You ever hear that? And you're always like, wow, you really? You want to go? You want to die? But you know what? You realize that there's a lot of people that have a lot of pain, a lot of heartache. And I do think it's very tough for them sometimes to go through things. And... Uh, I want you to understand that you need to regret with all your heart every choice that you made that was dumb. You should not get the benefit of just being able to say, well, I don't regret it, and just shrug it off, because that's a prideful thought. Um, last week I spoke to you about the parable of the sower, and I told you how God looks to plant the seed, which is the word of God, uh, into good, rich, dark soil. And it's just like when we plant a garden in the spring or a farmer would till up the ground and prepare it. Um, God also prepares our hearts with brokenness a lot of times so that we will receive that truth, his forgiveness, and those things that he offers us. Life is painful. I mean, there's no doubt about it. It can be very painful. Uh, like I say, the world tells us we can respond to our past problems with this blanket. No regrets. No regrets. And it really is an egotistical, prideful response to God to say that. Because God instead tells us to humble, be humble, humble ourselves, regret every choice that was dumb, ridiculous, and think over who it is that we are and what we've become because of it. What did we learn from it? Where are we at because of it? You know, there are things that I did that I so regret the choices that I made, you know what, you might receive forgiveness, but I still think about from time to time. Um, Mark Buchanan in the book, Your God is Too Safe, says brokenness is the one soil that usually withers pride. Pride is the antithesis to this idea of regret. I mean, we need to regret everything. Psalm fifty-one, seventeen: the sacrifice you want is a broken spirit, a broken and repentant heart, O God, you will not despise. I kind of likened to this when I was thinking about this message and preparing it. I was kind of thinking about how brokenness inside of our hearts is almost like a whisper of Jesus' name or a gesture of you saying, come closer to me, Jesus. When we have a broken heart, there's something inside of ourselves that really beckons Jesus to come closer to us. In our brokenness, we're more receptive. We're more willing to have God come close and help us at that time. Um, in our faith, we should resemble Jesus. That's what we're supposed to do at all times. I, I tell you all the time, we're always supposed to emulate Jesus. We're supposed to look more and more like him. From the time we accept him as our Savior, we're supposed to continually start to look more and more like him until the day we die. 
He says he understands we're not going to be perfect, but he says you are always supposed to strive for perfection. You're always going to try to be a better person than you were the day before. Make better choices today. Uh, True brokenness will mold our character closer to his more than anything else that we can possibly do. If we are truly contrite, if we're a person who really regrets and despises the choice we make, and I don't care if it's just something so simple. A lot of you guys might be in an area you're like, well, I didn't make bad choices yet. Good for you. Don't make them. But I can tell you, there's a world's going to do what he can to tear you up. And the enemy's going to do what he can to trip you up quickly. It is just a matter of time. If you look at what brokenness is, if you look at the definition of the word broken, it has a lot of interesting definitions. Reduced to fragments. Not functioning properly. Changing direction abruptly. Fragmentary or incomplete. Weakened in strength or spirit tamed, trained, or reduced to submission. Think about that. It's amazing because all that really needs to take place when we accept Jesus as our Savior, doesn't it? We really do have to just like fall apart before we let him put us back together again. We know we're not functioning properly. We're a mess until we ask for his help. Change direction. That's repentance. That's what God's word says. If we are broken, we will change. We will repent. We're going to go the opposite direction. We're fragmentary and complete. What does God's word says? He makes us complete. He says he brings us, makes us whole. Uh, we're weak. We're weak. We don't have everything we need to function. We need the Holy Spirit. We need God to get us through. And also, we need to tame ourselves. We need to train ourselves. We need to be submissive to what he asks us to do. His whole plan is that we submit to his will. It's really all about, in brokenness, more about the fact that we give up our will and we take on God's will. That's what it's all supposed to be. So isn't it clear that all that needs to happen when we accept Jesus as our Savior? That's what the whole choice is all about. Uh, there's a na- man named Alan Redbath, a Baptist preacher, and he's quoted as saying, God will never plant the seed of his life upon a soil of a hard, unbroken spirit. He will only plant that seed where the conviction of his spirit has brought brokenness, where the soil has been watered with the tears of repentance as well as the tears of joy. You know, there's a whole lot to be said for tears, and I'm going to kind of continue on with that because sometimes we really feel weak when we pray or when we, when we cry and when we're upset and we're just burdened with something, but God has so much to offer us in those times when we are tearful. Um, Paul went on all these different missionary journeys in the Bible, and he was trying to let people realize what Jesus did. You know, like I said, Paul, was his, was his first name was Saul before his, his destiny was changed. And he hated Christians. His whole plan was just to kill them, destroy them. He was there when Stephen was stoned to death. That was his whole thing. He passion for killing. Hated Christians with all his heart. And then he met God face to face. And then, of course, he received the name Paul. Actually, it said that he became blind, that God blinded him. And he was broken. And then all of a sudden he realized what Christ really had for him. But here he is off on all these journeys and he's trying to go to these different places and he's trying to get them to understand the message of Christ, which is why we have CYM. We love to have fun, love to enjoy ourselves, have a great time. But the whole entire reason why we exist is to spread the message of Christ. It's to get people to understand that destinies can be changed. It's to understand that there is a Savior. It's not just this God who's in the sky, but it's a Jesus who died for their sins. Not as a baby, still in the, uh, you know, in the, the inn, that's not what it's all about. It's the fact that he grew up at age 33. He died for your sins, and he rose again. He sits at the, hand of the, the right hand of the Father right now. He's not still on the cross. He's there. He's waiting now to come back. 
That's the whole plan. That's why we exist at CYM, to share the message. But here Paul is, he goes to the Corinthians, and he was there. He gives them all this message. They start to believe. They start to follow what he's saying. But just like what happens all the time, there's a lot of times that people will speak things to you and will tell you false things. There was false teachers explaining a lot of things, and they were falling apart. So he was upset, and he tells them this first letter. He says, hey, you're not doing so great. This is some things that you're not so good at. But I want to read you what he says. He says when he writes back the second letter. He goes and he writes back the second time. And he says to them in 2 Corinthians 7, 8 through 10, he says, I am no longer sorry that I sent that letter to you, though I was sorry for a time, for I know that it was painful to you for a little while. Now I am glad I sent it, not because it hurt you, but because pain caused you to have remorse and start to change your ways. It was the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have so you were not harmed by us in any way. For God can use sorrow in our lives to help us turn away from sin and seek salvation. We will never regret that kind of sorrow, but sorrow without repentance is the kind that just results in death. So what he was saying is, you know what? Yeah, I was harsh. I told you some hardcore things. I told you what you're doing is stupid, dumb, ridiculous. And you know what? You might not have liked it, but I'm telling you that I'm happy now because what I told you was really for your own good because it's going to lead you to repentance. It's going to make you change. Like I said, true godly sorrow, that's one that's going to cause change, will always produce repentance. Our mourning, our repentance, is equal in itself to humbleness. It's, it's an idea that you are going to submit to God's will. Not be prideful, not say, no, 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 my plan, my plan, God. It's, a, it's your plan. Um, there's a, a man named Calvin Miller. He says, worship starts with a broken heart. If you don't want to understand what worship is, maybe your heart's just not been broken enough. Maybe you haven't felt enough pain. Sometimes I don't think that we understand. You know, Christians sometimes we just kind of sit there and we sing these words and we don't think about what they mean. And, and they're, they're meaningful. They're, they're heavy, the things that they say. When we say, you know, search inside my heart, God, you're telling the God who created the heavens and the earth to look inside your heart and see if there's anything wrong. Sometimes we say things very flip and in meaning. And you know what? We're really asking God to look in. Humility is just about being very honest before God. Uh, being the person that you truly are, not wearing a mask, not being fake, not being insincere, but really showing him our hurts and our pains because all of us have them. There's nobody here sitting here that hasn't gone through pain. Every single one of us have a painful past, even if it was just some sort of little thing. I don't know if someone hurt your feelings or, or truly if you've had really a lot of sorrow in your life. I mean, there's Every one of us, to some degree, has gone through pain. So what God wants and what he desires is really for us to just be truly honest with the pain that we have, the things that we're upset about, um, angry about, deep down. He wants us just to really be honest with, before him and say, this is what I am, this is who I am. James uh, 4, 7 through 10 says, So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and God will draw near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you hypocrites. Let there be tears for the wrong things that you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. When you bow down before the Lord and admit your dependence on him, he will then lift you up and he'll give you honor. See that what he's saying there? Let there be tears for who you were. There's nothing more that breaks my heart when I think of the person I was before. I'm not perfect now. I'm still flawed, so flawed. But when I think of who I was before, it does. It upsets me. I don't want to be that person ever again. Never again. God tells us to cleanse ourselves out of our brokenness. To do that, we need to humble ourselves. That means we have to 
do what this word actually is, and by definition it says to depress oneself. Isn't it interesting? Because we talk about it in psychology. What is depression? It's a feeling of being low, isn't it? Like you can't get out of a hole, a dark cloud. You can't pull yourself out. I am so thankful for my life in 1993 because how I ended up getting saved was through depression to go to that area where you know what you thought you couldn't make it. God used my brokenness, the person who I was, so despondent, couldn't take it, was just at the end of my rope, so unhappy, tried everything I could. And God took me to that point of brokenness, and because of it, he showed me how real he was. And out of that brokenness, I was willing to change. I wanted to repent. I wanted to be a different person. And I'm thankful for depression now. I'm thankful for the person who I'd become, and that God revealed himself to me in that time. But the word humble actually means to depress oneself, to bring ourselves low, to bring ourselves low. Humbleness is really just submission, submitting yourself to what God would want for you. As we bow lower to God, then it's actually when God starts to lift us up. See, when we start to just lay ourselves down, he's like, no, no, okay, I'm going to pick you up now. I'm going to help you along. God's word says as we decrease, he increases. The more we take away of ourselves, the more he becomes more in our life. And that's not natural. That's not natural in worldly thinking. That's not how the world thinks at all. Because our tendency in the world is to hide from pain, isn't it? It's like if something happened that's horribly painful, if you're around your friends, do you want to cry in front of them? No. You hide. You don't want to act like you're upset. Because the world usually walks around with a mask on. They don't want to act like they're really upset. Uh, We don't want to show people that we're in tears or that there's problems because then we look like we're um, weak. You know, we don't have anything to offer and and look at us, you know. It's humbling to let people see you in pain and let it be evident, evident to them. But God tells us that in our misery and our weeping, we show people that we can be humble in repentance. We see people cry, we see people's tears, and uh, even though we hide them, we understand them. When you see somebody cry, do you walk up normally? Unless you're really, honestly, a horrible person, you don't walk up and tell them a joke. You don't walk up and laugh in their face. Usually when you see someone crying and upset, usually you get it. Usually part of your mind just kind of like, okay, something's wrong. It's universal. It's a universal language. It doesn't matter what culture you come from. It doesn't matter what age. It doesn't matter sex. Anything about it, races. It doesn't matter. It's like when you see somebody crying, you know something's wrong. You know that it's a universal language. It's evident to us. Everyone understands tears. Like I said, we know something deeper is going on at that time. So awesome that I found this. I, I never realized this. It says the early Puritans... The Christian Protestants who broke away from the church used to pray for the gift of tears. Isn't that amazing? They used to pray for it. They wanted to feel things on such a sorrowful level that they could actually put themselves in the right position with God like they needed to. I think maybe some of us need to start praying for that gift too because it is a gift. It is a gift. I told you last week when I was teaching the parable of the sower, I told you, I said, there's been changes in uh, people that I know have come to Christ who've really changed their lives. And I know John is one of them. I told you that last week in the message that there's a sensitivity that came over John that he never had before. And Cameron, when he'll tell you a story, he'll cry. Where he never used to be that person. You know, he's young, he's 21 years old, you know, 
And he'll tell you a story and he'll be upset and he'll, he'll break down. But that's what God does to us. It's a softening. It's that brokenness inside of ourselves that makes our heart receptive to what God offers us. Softens it up. It's no longer hard and uncaring, but it's filled with compassion. Uh, there's a man named Ken Geyer. He wrote a book, uh, The Windows of the Soul, and he believes that the closest communion with God comes through our tears. It says, Just as grapes are crushed to make wine and grain to make bread, so the elements of our tears come from the crushing experiences of life. That really spoke to me. Because life is hard. Life is very difficult. There's a lot of pain in it. And I think it's really cool that, you know, out of our pain, we can have something like tears come from it. Psalm 34:18 says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. We've all been crushed in spirit. I don't care how, to what degree. We've had days where it's all you can do to get through. It's a very difficult time. Um, we talked about the parable of the sower. In gardening, what's so amazing about gardening is you take this seed and you put it in the ground, and what it actually says is that the seed has to actually die to be able to produce the plant and then more fruit. So it actually has to die of itself. And that's exactly what God's word says that happens to us. You know, what our hearts have to be receptive, but we almost have to die to ourselves before we're willing to produce the things that are necessary in our lives. Uh, when our tears are turned toward God in brokenness, they're never wasted. Never wasted. You know, like I said, man might consider tears uh, weak. God sees them as humbleness. He treasures them. God loves our tears. And that sounds so bizarre, but it's so true. He actually, did you know, keeps them? Did you know that God keeps every tear that you've ever cried, if you're a believer? It says in Psalm 56, 8, it says, You keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in a book. Doesn't that amaze you to think that, like I said, this is not a God who's uncaring. This is not a God, an old man in the sky that doesn't pay attention. This is not a, a Jesus who's still pinned to the cross, helpless. This is a God who listens to everything, hears every one of our painful cries, and collects every tear. This is a God who's very close to us and notices everything. It's amazingly comforting, isn't it? To think that, like I said, when I was a kid and never had anybody around me to give me really love, I'll be honest with you, I find it such a comfort to know that every single time I cried, that I was never alone. He saw every single time I cried. He collected every tear. That was what God was doing. Ecclesiastes 7.3 says, Sorrow is better than laughter. Sadness has a refining influence on us. It refines us. It challenges us to be better, better people. Have you ever experienced brokenness? Have you ever cried? I mean, very few people can say they've never cried. Uh, for the most part, in church today, we see a lot of dry-eyed confessions of sin. We see a lot of people go forward and say, you know, I'm, I'm not so good. I'm a sinner. Um, there's things I need to change about my life. And, uh, you know, I need to do something. But I'm going to tell you, it needs to be more than that. It needs to be way, way, way more than just a dry confession. I'm not saying you have to be a blubbering fool up there crying your head out, heart out. It doesn't necessarily mean that. But it does mean that there needs to be a true brokenness, a true conviction, repentance inside yourself. You know, there's that scripture where it says, you know, when we confess with our mouth but believe in our heart, that's when we experience salvation. There's a whole lot of people going up and just confessing with their mouth, but they never 
truly felt sorrow and brokenness and felt it in their heart to understand what Jesus did for them. True brokenness. I want to read you the scripture, and it's beautiful. It's just a beautiful scripture. It's longer, but I want you to hear it. It says, true brokenness is shown to us in Luke 7, 37 through 50, which is the story of the sinful woman. It says, she came to him and knelt down behind him and sat at his feet weeping one day when he was in the home of one of the Pharisees for a meal. The Pharisees were the fake believers, the good churchgoers who really weren't that kind and weren't that loving. She had brought with her a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume, and as she sat there, her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisees saw what was happening and who the woman was, he said to himself, in his mind, because we all do this, don't we, judge people? Uh, this proves that Jesus is no prophet. If God really had sent him, he would know what kind of woman's touching him because she's a sinner. And Jesus spoke up and answered his thoughts because, like I said, he sees through us. It isn't just our words he hears. He knows what we think in our heart. And he says, he answers his thoughts. He says, Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. All right, teacher, Simon replied, go ahead. And Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other, but neither, neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave both of them, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? And the, Simon the Pharisee said, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. And he turned to the woman and he said to Simon, like I said, Jesus looked in the face, the people who were really hurting. He says to Simon, even though he's looking at her, he says, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss of greeting, but she has kissed my feet again and again from the time I first came in. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and there are many, have been forgiven, because she, so she has shown me so much love. You know what? God makes it clear that out of that brokenness, when you've been in painful situations, when you know you've done things that were so against God, you feel brokenness. You feel it. This woman felt that pain. She felt every bit of one of her things that she did. And when she looked at Jesus, who was her Savior, and she knew it was just a matter of time before he was going to give himself up to die for her sins. So this was going to happen. She's already preparing his body for burial, for the things that were going to take place. All these things were taking place, and you know what? She was such such brokenness that all she could do because she loved him so much, and she, he'd already he forgive he forgave her everything. All she could do was like kneel at his feet and just whisper how much over and over that she loved him and wiped his his feet. Now that's brokenness. Joseph, Joseph in the Bible. Um, if you know the story about Joseph, here he is. You know he's somebody that was tells his brothers that he's going to be a leader of them all. And his brothers were very jealous. And Joseph, because he went through so much, you know, like I said, he had his brothers because of the jealousy. They decided that they were going to kill him. And the only reason why he survived is because his brother Reuben actually stopped him and said, no, no, don't kill him. Let's just turn him over and let him be a slave instead. And they take him off to Egypt. And the ruler Potiphar buys him takes him into his house. And because Joseph always had favor of God, because no matter what circumstances you are in, God can pour favor upon you, and you can do amazing things for him all the time, even if you're in bad situations. Um, Potiphar had him there, 
through, you know, and, and he was taken in watching things. And Potiphar's wife decided she's going to put the moves on Joseph because God's word says Joseph was a well-built and handsome young man. So, of course, she noticed him. And uh, she decided she wanted to get Joseph to sleep with her. And, of course, Joseph was an upright man. He wasn't going to be a person who was going to compromise his beliefs. So he refused. He refused her desires. And so she accuses him unjustly and yells and screams and grabs him. And, of course, his coat comes off. And she says he tried to attack her and take advantage of her. So Potiphar throws him into prison for years. And uh, here he is down there. And then the only reason why he gets out is because he can interpret a dream for Pharaoh, who's in charge later. And here Joseph goes through all this pain, all these problems. He was so prepared with this brokenness of all this time in prison. It doesn't say how long he was at the beginning, but it also says that once these bakers and everything were going to get out, it was two years after that that he had to stay another two years before he was released and able to go and get out of this prison. And because of that, he developed such a brokenness inside of himself. And we get to see those glimpses of his brokenness uh, later in God's word when he talks about it. Um, what happened is here he becomes this ruler, and there's this great famine that takes place, and his brothers were in the area, and they needed grain. So here his, his father, the father tells him, says, go off and you know, basically go buy some grain, get some grain for us. And he goes, and they don't realize that Joseph, their brother, is there and that he's the leader. And... Uh, they go and ask for this, and they're starving to death. And Joseph, what he does is he pretends like he doesn't know him. He just pretends like he doesn't. They don't recognize him, and he pretends like he doesn't know him either. And so he puts him into prison for three days. He really just kind of is just like watching them, studying them. He loves them. He cares about them, but he's watching them. And actually, he goes on to really help them and bless them. But while they're talking through this interpreter, he hears them speak amongst themselves. And they're saying the reason why we're in such pain, the reason why we're in such turmoil, the reason why we're starving to death is because how we treated our brother Joseph when he was with us. And Joseph, because he had this brokenness, what he did was all he could do was to escape, find a private place, and break down in tears and cry and sob at that moment. He also shows his brokenness when he confesses to them that he's their brother. The Bible actually says that he broke down and he weeps so loud that his sobs could be heard throughout the whole entire palace. I mean, obviously, this is a man who was very broken. Then he weeps again when he sees his younger brother, Benjamin, when he finally gets to see him face to face. And then his father, who loved him so much. You know, he says that he sobbed, that he held on him so tight that he just sobbed into his neck and cried. You know, our world will tell us that it's not manly to cry, doesn't it? Don't cry. You're a man. Hold up straight. Don't, don't, don't let me see that lip quiver. That's what people say to another person. They'll tell you, you're not manly. Don't cry. But here we see a man of God. Joseph was a, a great man of God, and we see that he sobbed over and over and over again. Showed that he really felt things in a different level. He was a man of brokenness, and he was a great man of character because of it. I'm sure each one of you have heard the whole entire thing being talked about before where you're like, these things happen. You know, like New Orleans, we had this, this horrible, like, hurricane that blows through and people lose everything. Or, or, you know, you have this family that's all together and then all of a sudden, you know, the dad or somebody gets sick and they lose everything. Or, you know, little children are sick. And you're like, how does this happen? 
And you hear all the time, what do you hear out of people's mouths? How can a caring God let this allow this to happen? How? Why can this happen? And I want you to know, bad things happen to good people because it leads to brokenness. That's why. Sometimes we would just go on, status quo. We'd never have a need for God, would we, if our lives aren't just torn apart a little bit? I don't know if I would have ever, ever accepted Jesus and who he was and what he offered me and my family if it was not for the fact of me going through depression. I needed that. I needed to get my mind off myself and see that there's a bigger picture here. That's what I needed about to, to do with my life. God's word says that it does one thing, and I love this. One of my favorite scripture verses, he says, beauty for ashes. You know, our lives can be just like a waste. It looks like nothing. But God can take all that, and he turns around, and he says, no, no, he's going to give you beauty for it. it. Gives us a fresh start. When we're broken by life circumstances of pain, God's plan is that, plan is that we use it, and he puts us back together again. Um, I've read before in the Bible that it says that actually that um, God needs to break us before he can bless us. And, you know, you can see that over and, uh, over, and over again through God's word that that's true. Um, like I said, the sinful woman. Here, she had to break that, that bottle. She gave up this very expensive perfume and poured it upon him. But, man, she received so much more from that when she received forgiveness from God and she got eternity. One of the most strange stories that you'll ever come across to the Bible is when, um, in Genesis 32, when Jacob has to wrestle with God. It's the most bizarre story you'll ever read. It's bizarre. And you're like, what in the world? It actually says that God came down and wrestled as a man with Jacob. I mean, isn't that amazing? You read earlier in God's word, it says that if God comes face to face with a person, the person dies because he's God. It can't happen. It's the strangest story. But what happens is Jacob wrestles with God. And what happens is God hits him in the hip, busts his hip, breaks his hip. But then what's amazing is he says, I'm going to give you a new name. I'm gonna, your na name is no longer Jacob. It's now Israel. If Exactly the same area in the Bible we're talking about in Genesis, the very beginning of the Bible, Israel, is the basis, is the same country we talk about and we still have all this conflict about today. I'm going to tell you, Jesus is real. It's so real, it's serious as a heart attack, I'm telling you. It's, it's so real, Israel, and what it has about it. I'm telling you. So this, this idea of breaking us first and then helping us put us back together and then he blesses us. God has blessed me so much. He's tremendously blessed me by me searching after and following after him. But man... I had to be broken. I had to go through pain. I had to go through heartache. You know, there's something really special about brokenness. God says we should be thankful for it uh, because we're blessed from it. We should regret the hurts and pains that we've gone through and also those pains and hurts that we've caused others because all of us cause pain for other people a lot of times. Um, sometimes it's really hard when you're in the midst of pain, when you're going through something really tough, when you have bad news. When tough circumstances come, man, it's so hard to get your eyes off the problem and think God's going to get you through this, but he will. It's no surprise to me when things happen, how things happen. The timing of God is amazing. There's amazing blessings in store for those who are truly broken for God. Look at Jesus. His own body was broken for each one of us. 
It's what it says. It says his body was broken and bruised for our transgressions, our sins. That's what happened. And out of that, we receive eternal life. We're blessed because he was broken. I kind of see brokenness as a pain that we feel from the pain that we've caused God, the God that created us. I mean, don't we think that we have to be responsible for some of the things that we do? Obviously, we cause God a lot of pain because we don't do things the way he would like us to. We stray from it. And out of that pain, he causes us a little pain. He shows us, hey, you know what? This hurts. I'm going to show you what it's all about. And also, it's coming to grips with the knowledge that we're a sinful bunch. Man, we need a Savior saving. I don't know. We cannot make it if we don't have it. We're not going to be able to survive. All we're going to have is this life, and that's it. One of my favorite scriptures in the Bible is Isaiah 6, 5. Love the scripture verse. Just it's one of those scripture verses that just amazes me when I read it. There's a song that we sing downstairs that kind of goes with it. When I sing it, it just cuts me to the core. And it's in Isaiah 6, 5 when Isaiah goes into the presence of the Lord of the temple and he comes face to face with who he really is, with himself. He actually says, My destruction is sealed, for I am a sinful man and a member of a sinful, member of a sinful race, yet I have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. There's something amazing about when you come face to face with the living God, when you really truly meet him. Because, you know, we, we desire us to come face to face. We want to get close to God once we really love him. But when we do, we realize, man, the more close we get, the more we realize, man, I am so flawed. I'm so not perfect what I need to be. And you know what? Here he was really face to face, and he realized, man, I'm sinful. I am not the person I need to be. And because of that, what it says is, at this, this seraph goes over, grabs a coal, comes over and touches the lips of, of him. And he says, now you're clean. That's what salvation is. It's just a reminder of what's to come. It's the salvation experience of what Jesus offers us later. And Isaiah was broken. He was broken right then. He was broken with the fact that he is a sinful person and he needed a savior. Jesus was sent to comfort the brokenhearted. He was sent to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come. That's what it's all about. So I'm sure each one of you have gone through tough times. I'm sure there's not one of you out there that hasn't gone through pain, heartache, trials, struggles, regrets. Please regret. I beg of you never to say that again. I don't regret it. I beg of you that every single time something happens in your life, you sit there and say, man, I regret that. I regret that choice I made. I am so thankful that God has forgiven me and I am a different person now. But I can tell you that I am so thankful that we don't forget that I do get to regret. That's what it's all about. You know, isn't it great that God doesn't completely remove? He says he removes our sins as far as the east is from the west. That we are, that's gone from us. That we're not going to have that held against us no more once we accept him as our savior. But he doesn't let us forget it. He lets us to remember the people that we were, the stupid choices we made, the dumb decisions, our, our shallowness, our craziness, the things that we did, the things that caused pain for others. He lets us remember that. And he says, just every now and then glance back and see that this is not you any longer. You're a different person now. And you know what? You really ex you appreciate over and over again how many times you, like, you think about it that Jesus gave me a fresh start. Thank you. I mean, I can't tell you how many times on a Sunday morning I don't sit there and think, think to myself, thank you, Jesus. 
thank you, Jesus, that you've given me a fresh start. This is not the same person that I was before. I'm so thankful that you cared about every single tear, that you collected them. That's a God who is amazing. This is not some God that doesn't care. I want you to grasp the idea that you serve a God who loves you so much. He just desires you so much to get close to him. I want to have you given an opportunity. We're actually ending 10 minutes early. I'm going to give you an opportunity. I'm going to pray for you. But we're going to give you an opportunity really to find a spot. Pray at your seat. Don't leave yet. Think about God. Think about him. Don't, you know, there, there's something to be said. There's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Father God, Jesus who's the Son, the Holy Spirit of God, which is what happened when God sent his Son. He dies on the cross. He goes up. What happens is then he says, I leave for you a counselor, which is the Holy Spirit. And with the counselor, it's the conviction. It's a challenge inside of our hearts to grow closer. It's what the Holy Spirit does. I've told you we pray every single time before you get in here that God prepares your heart, that you're receptive of what God would offer you. And uh, I just want you to think tonight. Let the Holy Spirit work on you. Let, just think through your life. Stop to think that, you know what, you're not that great. I told you that before. You know, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be the antithesis of what your teachers tell you because all these teachers are going to tell you, man, you're the best people ever. You're heroes, you're the best. I'm going to tell you what God's word says. It says you're worthless sinners. That's what it says. I'm telling you the truth. I think you're great kids. I love you to death. But you know what? We're sinful from the start. God created us that way. We're just, we need a savior. We need it. That's what we have to have. I want you to seek after him and I want you to ask God, to really draw you close to him. Whisper his name. Tell him to come close and really just seek after him. If you need me to pray with you for anything, I'm here for you. Um, I just ask that, that you would just really seek after him with all your heart. Ask him to forgive you for things you've done and ask him to come closer, okay? Well, Lord, we just thank you so much for what you offer us and we just pray, Jesus, that tonight, Lord God, as we sit here, Lord, that you just help us to um, just really feel your challenge inside of ourselves to, to do better, Lord, that we would regret, that we'd feel complete remorse for the things we've done, Lord. I just pray, Father, that you would help us, Lord, to just take a step closer to you tonight. I just pray that as people go home, uh, Lord, whether they do it here or they do it anywhere at home, Lord, that they would really just um, ask for you to come closer to them and be near them in their lives. And, Lord, just pray that you just be with them and their families, draw close to them, Lord, help them through their troubles. And we just ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.